The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hello and welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Dr. Zev Schumann-Olivier, guest host for uh, One Hour at a Time, sitting in for Mary Woods. Uh, I'm here today um, with the honor of uh, speaking with Maureen Underwood who is a licensed clinical social worker and certified group psychotherapist with uh, many years of experience in mental health and crisis intervention. Uh, she also happens to be the clinical director for the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide. And she's here today to speak with us about bullying teen suicide. Um, are they related and, and how? Um, so I guess, uh, Maureen, welcome to the show, and I'll start with that that question that, that uh, you put into the title. Um, can you tell us a little more about bullying and teen suicide and, uh, and how or if they are related? Okay. Well, thank you, Zev. I'm so glad to be here um, to talk about what I think is a really, really important topic. Um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of media attention recently um, to, you know, what appears to be um, a direct relationship between bullying and suicide. And I think what's so important for all of us to understand is that, um, uh, you know, while bullying certainly can be a risk factor for suicide, we know that that every youth who chooses to take his or her life um, is completing suicide in a way that's multi-determined, which means there's always more than one reason for what happens, and that most of the kids, um, if we look back at the the histories of the stories that have made um, the press is that there's usually always some underlying vulnerabilities um, in these children that have complicated um, their response to um, the problem of bullying and probably have contributed ultimately to their suicides. So you're saying that there might be something within them that, that's putting them at risk of, of suicide irrespective of the relationship with the bully. Right, right. Um, and, you know, and usually what we see is there's some underlying vulnerabilities um, that often lead them to be depressed um, as a result of the bullying. And, you know, we know that when people are depressed, and this is the same for kids as it is for adults, um, our problem solving isn't as efficient. We can be impaired in the way we, we think about things. Our judgment becomes poor. And, you know, that may be some of what kind of leads to the place where suicide seems like um, the solution. I have a question. Do you feel that that um, that becoming depressed may increase people's risk of being bullied, um, or that or that just their response to bullying will 
um, will be more likely to lead to suicide if one is depressed. I, I think it's the, the latter point because I think obviously that there's lots and lots of kids who are depressed who um, have not been bullied. So I don't know that, that, that you can make the relationship that way, but you can certainly understand how, um, you know, being in a situation of being bullied, you know, and, and uh, you know, maybe I just can kind of take a, a one step back and define what bullying is because I think sometimes that term is used kind of casually. We know that there's there's an aggressive behavior that's unwanted, um, and there's some real or perceived power imbalance that goes on with this this behavior, and that there's a repetition of it or a perception that it's going to be repeated over time. Um, so you can see how this can kind of wear somebody down. Um, in addition to those pre-existing vulnerabilities, um, that can have someone feel like I just can't cope anymore. Mm. Uh, it seems that as if uh, bullying can create a sense of learned helplessness. Oh, that's a perfect word. That's a perfect word. Um, yes, it's that becoming that victim. Um, and as we certainly certainly know that whenever we feel like we're victimized, um, our coping strategies are diminished. Mm. So uh, you mentioned there were multiple risk factors for um, for bullying and 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 multiple risk risk factors for suicide. I was wondering if you could right. kind of talk about the different risk factors for both. Um, okay, and... let me let me start with suicide. Um, you know, we talk when we talk about the risk factors for suicide, we often talk about them um, as kind of overlapping. If you if you were in your mind's eye to picture a series of circles kind of overlapping in the center, and thinking about each of them standing for a variety of these risk factors, and these are risk factors that have been determined by research. I want to be real clear about that. Um, and certainly, one of the things we know is one of the first risk factors are is really um, demographics. We know that that um, boys and men are at higher risk for suicide completions. Um, young girls and um, women are at higher risk uh, for attempts. Um, we know, for example, that you know, in terms of the broad picture, the suicide rate tends to be highest um, among those Caucasian males. Um, we see pockets around the country um, where you might see higher risk, for example, um, in an um, uh, Native American community. We know that um, there have been higher risks um, associated with some um, Latina females. So we see different, different kind of risks demographically in different places. We know that the age rate where the risk goes up is around that last year of high school, kind of moving out of high school into the world, whether that's into college, into the work environment, um, into the armed services there's a that transition where one goes from the security of a of a high school setting or um in a predictable life into into something that may seem you know not quite so certain um we know that family history of, of suicide is certainly important that there seem to be some genetics involved um you know not just in the transmission perhaps of mental illness but maybe even in the transmission of a, a capacity to complete suicide 
previous attempts are a risk factor that really are the most significant. Um, you know, if someone has a previous attempt, there's a real strong likelihood that that youth will go on uh, to either another attempt or completion if there's no intervention. Um, we know that access to lethal means um, is a risk factor. You know, kids who have access to guns and firearms, which which across the country tend to be the predominant method um, of suicide, um, are kids who are at higher risk just because they have access um, you know, to those guns and firearms. And then we know that there are certain things that we consider to be stressors. Um, and these are often the triggering events that perhaps can push a kid over the edge. Um, and this is where the bullying may come in. Um, you know, that, that bullying may be one of those stressors that in a child who has some of those other um, risk factors may be just what it takes to be the straw that, that breaks the camel's back. Um, you know, in terms of some of the risk factors for bullying, you know, I suppose it's, it's been historically true that kids who are different from peers tend to be kids who get picked on the most. Um, and we know that kids, you know, who are physically different, um, have some degrees of disabilities, um, who may be struggling, you know, with sexual identity issues. And I think it's, in that latter case, it's really, really important to say, you know, that those sexual identity concerns are not what makes these children suicidal. It's the reaction to others, um, to those personal challenges that they're experiencing. That's what you know, is kind of the ingredient um, that creates the bullying and may, in fact, sometimes create the suicidality. That was a question that I had with regard to risk factors because one of the risk factors that I've always heard when people talk about suicide is being an adolescent or young adult um, with uh, that's led to being gay, bisexual, or transgender. Mm-hmm. And again, as I said, you know, it, I don't think it's that per se, but I think it's that, you know, the internal struggle of dealing with it. It's, you know, kind of the social stigma that continues to be attached to it. You know, it's how people respond um, in, you know, in um, your social support network. There's a variety of factors, so I think it's so important to try not to, you know, just simplify um, and have it have it be cause and effect, because I think we don't want to send messages to kids that, you know, if you're um, an LGBT, you know, Q kid, that means you're going to be suicidal just because of that. Um, right. you know, that's not necessarily the case. It's the interaction with the community and others' aggressive behaviors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's really helpful to, to lay out the differences in, in the in the definitions, um, and uh, I guess I, I was thinking a lot about the uh, the recent Rutgers case that 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 came out, the mm-hmm. Tyler Clemente and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mr. Ravi case, um, mm-hmm. and and I was wondering about that with regards to to bullying and sexual identity. It's, it seemed to be that um, that maybe is bullying taking on a, uh, a more intense level in recent days than in the past? Well, you know, certainly we know that that social media um, seems to um, up the ante a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, 20 years ago we didn't have webcams. So I imagine if, 
you know, you wanted to do something in the privacy of a dorm room, you know, your roommate couldn't have that access to see what was going on. So there was a, there was a degree of, of um, privacy, I think, that, um, you know, is not necessarily there these days. And, and I think we certainly see that, you know, with the kids who complain about um, cyberbullying, that, you know, before it used to be when a kid was bullied at school, when he or she went home, at least there was a safe haven. And unfortunately, with the Internet, um, you know, that safe haven seems to have evaporated. And, you know, the, the aggression continues um, in some ways unabated um, and sometimes anonymously. And I think that that, you know, that's another feature that I think complicates it for a lot of kids is that you just don't even know who's saying what about you. Um, so I think those are some of the factors that that may make it a little bit more challenging for kids nowadays um, than you know it used to be you know in terms of the issue of, of you know bullying behaviors. As you're talking about that, I, I'm recalling um, you know my youth and um, the feeling that that there's a bully that often seems to um, you know seems to control a, a lot in the, mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. You know, in a classroom or in the environment and um, and how uh, the young people who maybe are being bullied can feel uh, disconnected from each other and um, and uh, um, and I was just thinking about social media across the world and how uh, recently in parts of the in parts of the world um, there have been very certain peoples that have had um, uh, dictators um, and and social media has been used to actually help people to connect and to um, and to um, join forces against the uh, dictators and I'm wondering has that have that been seen that the opposite effect of social media that yes that and I think that's I'm um, so glad you brought that up, up I think that's such and, an important yeah. point to make is that you know it's really easy to take a look at the negative aspects of things and to not appreciate the fact um, that social media can really be used for good um, you know that it can help kids feel not so isolated not so alone um, that the creation of a variety of media sites for kids um, and by kids um, is really trying to help educate them um, about alternatives, you know, that there are other things you can do that, you know, you don't have to put up with, you know, these certain behaviors. You know, and I think well, one I of the excellent I definitely want to hear sites... more about this. We, we have to go to break for a minute. Okay. Um, when we come back, maybe you can tell us some, more about some of the specifics around those media sure. sites. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. There are a number of health and social services available to individuals for low cost or no cost. Now there's a radio program devoted to bringing you the information you need. Tune in to Outreach Today with host Melissa Jenkins Simon. Our program promotes the benefits and services of CI Incorporated, providing health and social services over a wide spectrum of resources and agencies. We want to help you. Tune in to Outreach Today, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hello, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Dr. Zev Schumann-Olivier, and I'm here with Maureen Underwood, who is the Clinical Director of the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide and an expert on bullying in uh, in the schools. Um, Maureen, uh, just to go back to where you where we left off, you were talking about some of the things that... Um, that uh, adolescents and young adults are doing to, to connect themselves to uh, kind of fight back against bullies, and I was wondering if you could talk more about that. Well, you know, and I think it's not just fighting back against bullies. I think it's it's sort of addressing myriad of concerns that kids have that make it hard to grow up. Um, and I think there's a wonderful um, website that SAMHSA um, put out called reachout.org, and that's really kind of telling kids that they're not alone, um, that they can reach out to other kids, they can reach out to trusted adults for help. Um, it, you know, it just gives you the message that even though adolescence can be a challenging time for a variety of reasons, um, that there are there are those out there who can help you. You know, one of the other websites, and, and this is one I, you know, kind of a little bit um, ambivalent about for younger kids is the It Gets Better website that was created um, uh, to help kids deal with the issues of, um, you know, sexual identity. And, you know, I think, as you probably know, this was created by um, Dan Savage, and it, the message that it's designed to give is the message that hold on, hang on, it may be a hard time in your life right now, but it will get better. And I think it, it's an extraordinarily important message, particularly for older, older adolescents. I think where it gets a little confusing um, is, you know, we always have to remember the developmental level of the kids we're sending messages to. And some of the younger adolescents, you know, for them the future is the weekend, um, they have a very shortened sense of, you know, what the future looks like. It's, it's what we call the proximal future, so the future that's right in front of their faces. And for some of those kids, you know, if it wasn't better last month, it wasn't better last week, it's not better this week, um, I can't expect it to be better, um, you know, this weekend, or I can't even see into the future past that then maybe it's not going to get better. So I think that, you know, as adults in the lives of kids, I think we want to take the responsibility 
of making sure that we find messages that are developmentally targeted um, to really provide them the appropriate kind of support they need. That, that makes sense um, to to try to tailor it for their mm-hmm. developmental level. Um, are, are are we seeing um, uh, suicides across every um, developmental level, or are there particular? You mentioned just around that last year of high school, where well, where you know, the, one of the, um, the things I think that has been disturbing in terms of a trend <clears throat> is that the attempt rate um, has gone up. Um, you know, rather dramatically for 10 to 14-year-olds in about the last five years. Um, and, you know, I think that that obviously concerns us. And, you know, as I, as I kind of described bullying um, a little bit ago, let, let me kind of give you a working definition of suicide that may help kind of put it into a, a little bit of a context. You know, rather than thinking about suicide simply as, as someone's wish to die, um, which is kind of hard to get our, our, our hands around, um, to really think of it um, as, as kind of a misguided attempt to solve a problem um, with, with skills that are really impaired. Um, and, you know, kind of what that says to you is that there's always something going on, you know, always being as, as relative as it can be, but, you know, there's always something going on in a kid's life um, or even this isn't a, a definition that's true for adults. There's, there's a problem that we get to the place where we feel like it's unsolvable by any other means, um, and the only way we can think of solving it is by dying. So, again, you know, if you're in a position to talk with someone who's thinking about suicide, to simply ask, you know, what's going on in your life right now that makes you feel so terrible you think that death is the only answer, you begin to get a handle um, on something that, that's potentially fixable. Um, so it just begins a conversation about something that a, that a child or even an adult can feel is just something I can't even talk about. That's really that hopelessness and that feeling yep. trapped mm-hmm. that, that is so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it's giving, you know, and I, and I think as we all know, when we're able to language what we're feeling, it becomes so much more bearable. Um, and when you're sharing that with somebody else, you know, there is something about the sharing of a burden that does lighten it, even per- just imperceptibly um, for just a small amount of time. But it just can often be what makes the difference in helping someone figure out a different way to solve it. I mean, that's how crisis intervention lines work. Um, and, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with all of us being in a position where we see kids who are really struggling to say to them, what's going on in your life right now that has you feeling so miserable? Um, instead of that, oh, come on, you'll get over it or buck up, you know, life gets, you've been through harder things before, you think this is bad, way do you see? I mean, sometimes I think our, our dismissiveness just can kind of pull kids more into themselves and, and have them feel that they really aren't understood. Um, and that isolation, in addition to the hopelessness you just mentioned, mentioned are two real hallmarks, you know, of kids who are feeling suicidal. It, it makes me think about the, the role of parents. Um, in, uh, and if, if people feel like they have a connection to their parents, their parents can, can hear what they're experiencing, is that a protective factor for them? That's, and that's a, um, that's a great word that you use as a protective factor because, 
you know, one of the things that we know, just as there are risk factors and warning signs for suicide, there are also protective factors, things that buffer kids from life stresses. And, um, you know, if a kid is at low risk for suicide, certainly um, a contact with a, you know, a good relationship with a parent can help. But as we know, um, and this is stuff that comes from research, for most kids, what is extraordinarily protective is contact with one caring adult. They don't need a whole community of support. If they've got one person, you know, who's a grown-up that they feel has got their back, um, that can be something that really, really can get th- help kids get through some of the harder things they have to get through in life. You know, being connected is something else that's a protective factor at school, at home, in the community. Um, for a lot of kids, a spiritual connection can be protective. Um, getting treatment for kids who have some kind of um, emotional problems or have some drug and alcohol problems. You know, I think what's so fascinating about it is it doesn't say that kids can't have problems. Um, but it basically says if a kid does have a problem, um, as long as he or she has access to and can get treatment, that that can be a protective factor. So it may be that there's more good news than we think sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how would you recommend that, that parents um, respond uh, if their child is being bullied? Just connecting the, what we had talked about previously. I, th- I mean, I think the first thing is to ask about it and to take it really seriously and, and to, you know, um, in the work that I do in, in um, the Lifelines curriculum, you know, we have the three words that we try to teach um, the adults in the lives of kids, which is basically, tell me more. Um, and sometimes I think we're so overwhelmed or threatened by what kids tell us, and, and especially as parents, sometimes it's hard for us to hear, you know, that our child is really being subjected to hurtful things. You know, we want to make it better instead of hearing more about it. So I think those first three important words are tell me more about what's going on, um, to really hear, to really listen, and I think if it's something that's taking place at school, it's to let school officials know. Um, you know, if it's something that's taking place um on uh, um, online, it's you know paying attention to what's going on, um, you know, with your child's um, time on the internet, um, and you know sometimes it's quite as simple as recommending, you know, what maybe you don't want to go on that Facebook page, um, you know, or that chat page, or why don't you stay away from that for a while and just let's let's see how things simmer down. Sometimes it's you know it's simple advice like that. But it's, you know, it's really kind of letting your kid know, I'm there for you. Um, it, it seems like often a, a kid may, may come to their parent and say something like, um, this is what's going on, but please don't, don't say anything, don't do anything. Um, and, and I'm wondering if you recommend that even, um, you know, because of afraid of reprisal or afraid it won't make a difference. Um, I'm wondering if even in those situations that you'd recommend. You know, I think it's, I, you know, I think it's that, that second piece of what you just said, about, you know, afraid that it just really won't make a difference. Um, you know, unfortunately, I've heard, you know, stories um, of, you know, parents who've gone to schools and the school just hasn't taken it seriously. And, um, you know, I think the good news is there's been so much more public conversation about bullying um, that I think um, that 
it's something that people are taking much more seriously, and and certainly in terms of suicide, um, you know, we know that there are certain things that we just can't keep secrets about, and anytime somebody is, um, you know, at, at some kind of a danger to himself or others, you know, those are not things we can keep a secret. I think so. I think you know, you can keep that same line about bullying. You know, I wish I could keep this to myself, but we need to put our heads together and figure out what's the best way to handle this. You know, and I think it's being open-minded, um, you know, that you don't have to be reactive. You can really think about things because what you're trying to model for your kids is, you know, sometimes crummy things happen to you in life. Um, and, you know, we all have to kind of figure out what do we do to get through them. And sometimes it's to sit back and think a little bit um, and put our heads together and, you know, come up with what we think is a good solution. So it's it's not, you know, just acting impulsively. It's really thinking about you know, the consequences. It's really teaching them, you know, social problem solving. Well, um, that makes sense. We're getting ready to, to go to break again. Um, maybe when when we get back, we could talk more about some of the specific um, um, uh, school-based programs that you've had to help uh, teach people problem solving and, sure. um, and, and to help... Uh, to teach people who are first responders in a certain way in, in the schools um, uh, how to best address these situations. Great. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hello and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Dr. Zev Schumann-Olivier 
And I'm here with Maureen Underwood, who is a licensed clinical social worker and clinical director for the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide. She's also co-author of Lifelines, a school-based youth suicide response program. And I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about specifically about that program and, and how it works and, and, and uh, where, which schools are implementing it and where, where the program being picked up. Oh, great. I would absolutely love to tell you about it. Um, you know, it's a program that, um, you know, I just want to give you a little bit of a historical overview because I think it's so important to understand this is not new stuff. Um, in the 1980s, um, the, the youth suicide rate had gone up um, from the 1950s almost 300%, and everyone got very, very concerned um, about, oh, my God, what was going on with kids, you know, that had created this. So um, my colleague, John Califat, and I were at a community mental health center at the time in New Jersey, and um, a school asked us, could we come in and talk to their kids about suicide? So, you know, we thought, okay, we can do this. So we put together a little curriculum, and that sort of was the genesis um, for the Lifelines curriculum. So it actually started in the 1980s. It's been adapted and modified according to um, research and, you know, some of the, the, as the trends and the information about suicide evolved, um, although there are some pieces of it that I have to say are exactly the same as they were back in the day. Um, and, uh, you know, it's on the uh, National Registry of Evidence-Based Programs and Practices, so there's some significant research that shows it does what it says it does. And what I would tell you, I think, is one of the most significant features of the Lifelines programs, which is very similar to some of the more successful bullying prevention programs, is that it approaches suicide prevention from, from a context of what we call a competent school community. And what that means is the, the, the assumption that we make is that um, in our school, everyone's concerned about everybody else's welfare, and if somebody in our school needs help, we all know where to get it, and we're consistently inclined to get help for that person. So there's a philosophy or a culture in a school that sort of sets the groundwork for really kind of people taking care of each other. So if, if you kind of see that as, as sort of the climate, um, the next pieces of the program really are, are reflective of the fact that you can't just teach kids um, about suicide prevention or bullying prevention. It's got to be something that starts at the top. You have to have buy-in from school administrators, from school board members. Um, you need policies and procedures that are very consistent with this competent community. You've got to make sure your faculty and staff are educated um, so they understand what suicide is and they know what to do if they see a kid who might be at risk. Um, the parents need to be informed um, because sometimes these are things that are going to come up at home and parents need to know how to talk to their kids. And obviously kids have a responsibility as well. Um, you know, this is not just about all the adults in the school taking care of the children. Um, that's certainly one piece of it, but equally as important is a piece that says kids need to take care of each other. So part of what the Lifelines curriculum does in um, four sessions that are usually taught in health classes um, is it has kids really begin to look at how do you identify signs of risk in yourself or someone else, how can you talk about them, um, and then how can you make the leap from talking about them to getting yourself or your friend uh, to an adult helper. 
Um, so it's really kind of that referral or passing the buck. And everyone in the school community learns the same information. Um, as I said before, you know, I use the word languaging what's going on. And I think when we all have a shared language, um, it's so much easier to talk about something that's difficult. So, for example, in Lifelines, um, the warning signs of suicide are organized around the mnemonic facts. It talks about the feelings of suicide, some of which, you know, we've already mentioned, the hopelessness, the helplessness, the despair, um, the actions that might accompany someone who is suicidal, the changes in behavior that might kind of give us a clue that this person isn't feeling the way he or she used to. Sometimes it's the T, the direct threats that somebody makes, you know, that we get concerned about, or it may be those S situations um, that are the triggers. So when you've taught everyone in the entire school what that mnemonic is, um, a kid doesn't have to say to an adult, um, I'm, I need to talk to you about suicide. It's very simple to say, you know what, I want to talk to you about um, some facts. So it, it can take a little of the stigma away of the conversation um, and just make it a little bit easier to begin to broach those conversations. Um, and as I said, this is something that's taught to everyone in the school community, and what the research has shown is that at the end of this program, there has always been an increase in the number of student-based referrals um, to the school resource staff for friends um, or even for, you know, kids themselves who feel like they might need some help. So it, it does kind of give permission to kids um, to talk about something that they might not have had permission to talk about before. Seems like it creates a common language. Yep, yep. Uh, between everybody. Has it been shown um, with the research to decrease suicide rates in those schools? Um, you know, the whole idea of suicide rates, that, I mean, that's a, it's a difficult question because the truth is, um, you know, even though suicide is the third leading cause of death um, for kids, the rates tend to be pretty low. So, um, uh, you know, what you, what you might study. not, you know, for some schools, for example, there may be one suicide in five years. So you, you don't necessarily see that decrease um, in rates per se, but what you see more is that increase in help-seeking, which may in okay. some ways you know, um, you know, predict a decrease later on that you can't measure. I mean, that's always the hard thing about prevention programs. You know, you can't measure what you've prevented. Uh, and how many schools has this program been, been implemented in so far? I know it's been used in the state of Maine. Um, it's currently being used um, We're in the process of training in New York State, um, in Delaware, in Kentucky, in Georgia, um, you know, the schools in Fort Worth. So it, it, there's lots of different schools around the country, um, and there's been an increase, um, you know, as time has gone by um, in the schools that are using it. There's, you know, there's two other components that go with the program. There's one that's a, an intervention program that really helps um, school resource staff um, you know, kind of do, as I talked before, that tell me more conversation with kids um, to get more information, you know, to really make referrals 
um, usually to outside mental health services, and to be able to talk to parents to engage them as part of the process. Because um, oftentimes I think, you know, parents, it's hard to hear that your child is suicidal. So we really try to provide a different way um, for the people within the school and even the healthcare professionals to, to look at those parents so that, you know, that everybody kind of realizes, you know, we're all, we all have one goal, which is the child's best interest, and, and, you know, we need to work to that, and sometimes we have to kind of overcome some resistance to do that. And then, unfortunately, you know, because we know that even in the best prepared schools, sometimes there are suicides, we do have what's called a postvention or a response in the aftermath of suicide, so we've got a component for that as well. Is it true that, that when there is one suicide in a school that, that the school is then at risk of, of uh, increased suicide soon after? Um, it, there, it actually can be depending on, you know, a variety of factors that kind of include, the, you know, the way the suicide, um, you know, is responded to, um, you know, who the student is, um, who completes suicide, you know, um, you know how, what the, uh, the effects of it are on... Um, you know, the school community and the larger community, um, you know, we know that the only age group for which we see a statistically significant risk of copycat um, suicide are adolescents. They copy each other and everything else. So we do have to be on alert. Um, and that's why the postvention response is so important, that you don't want to do anything to sensationalize or glamorize. But again, you know, doing nothing can be as dangerous as doing too much. So it's it's always finding that balance. You know, I think that, um, you know, in the whole, you know, my approach to everything I do in suicide prevention is about balancing. You know, it's about, it's about balancing risk and protection. It's about, it's about balancing, you know, how you respond to a death, um, with, you know, just doing the right amount. And, and it can be, a, it can be challenging. But I think when you at least realize that that's the challenge you face, you're in a much better position to address it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you also working on college campuses or mainly just in, um, we are not. Uh, in middle schools and high schools? We're, you know, we're just really kind of working. This model has been used um, in elementary, middle, and high school. Um, you know, um, in college campuses, you have a little bit um, of a different response, although some of the elements are, you know, essentially the same, um, you know, especially in terms of the response in the aftermath. It's, it's, pretty grounded in crisis intervention theory and in grief theory. So, you know, that's pretty consistent. Um, but, you know, with the, um, the suicide prevention, you know, you, I mean, you're addressing this at different developmental levels for kids. And, you know, what we've got, um, you know, fits pretty well up into high school. But, you know, beyond that, I think you probably want to tinker with it a bit. And, and I think there are some other programs out there that address the college-age population. Okay. Um, can you suggest what, what those are? Um, the Jed Foundation, um, if you want to take a look at their website, you know, they've done a lot of just really some of the pioneer work in the country um, on college campuses. They're, you know, it's, it's another foundation, I believe, started by, you know, a family who lost their child to suicide, and, and they, they've just done really, really high-class Work, you know, and, and you know, kind of as an addendum to that statement. You know, I think we have to be very careful because there's lots and lots of information out there, and particularly around bullying. Um, I probably hear every day about a new program 
um, or a new speaker who's you know going out to a school to talk about bullying and you know exhort the students to you know be kinder to each other and i think you just want to be so careful when you're making choices about these kinds of programs to really look at evidence-based registries and look at data and really see um, you know, can people do what they say they're going to do? I mean, one of the things we know is that even though, you know, one-shot programs can be very dramatic, um, usually the long-term effects of them are less than dramatic. So, you know, I think you want to look at programs that may be not quite so dramatic but well-grounded in theory and have some proven track records where there's some data um, you know, evaluating the outcomes. I, I just think that that's so, so important these days. I agree. It's important to, to have good evidence, especially when uh, there are people like you who are spending a lot of time trying to optimize and create the best program that it's uh, good uh, for people to reach out and, and use things that have been proven to work. Um, we're going to go to break for, for another minute, and um, and uh, then we'll return, and, and perhaps uh, we can go over some more um, places where people can turn if they um, want more information. Great. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Dr. Zeb Schumann-Olivier. And I'm here with Maureen Underwood, who is a licensed clinical social worker and the clinical director for the Society for Prevention of Teen Suicide. Um, I know that you are a social worker and not a lawyer, but I've been, I've been wanting to ask you this question. Um, you know, recently in the news, there have been there's been a lot about the, the Rutgers case and and how the um, and how the uh, um, the person who was was bullying was uh, was found to uh, be guilty of a hate crime. Mm-hmm. And, and I would, it, am I, I could be wrong, but but um, so 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 my uh, so my my question was uh, with these with these cases like this, does that change the environment for the ways that schools and others will um, will uh, um, uh, e- either tolerate or not tolerate bullying and how they might prosecute or um, or address the issue when they see it? Well, you know, uh, speaking as, as someone who is, you know, from New Jersey, 
Um, and, you know, subsequent um, to the uh, suicide of Tyler Clemente, the, the state passed one of the toughest um, anti-bullying laws in the country. Um, you know, I think that, that, that we may see, um, you know, some real fallout. Um, and, you know, I think that the challenge of it is, um, I don't know that, that, that there are real guidelines for, um, you know, the investigation of, of this. I mean, what becomes a hate crime? Um, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's legally, um, has not been applied, um, to situations, um, you know, like this one instance, um, at Rutgers. But I think that what we may see, um, you know, and maybe this is not a bad outcome. It's kind of like what's happened for most of us at airports. Um, you know, you used to be able to sort of make casual jokes about, you know, what you were going to do on a plane, and, and people have learned you don't make those casual jokes anymore. Um, you know, that that's not a place to do that. That's a conversation that's inappropriate. So I think it may, you know, it, there may be something that happens along those lines where the kids themselves begin to realize, you know what, we can't do this anymore. In schools, for example, we know that there's zero tolerance for violence um, subsequent to Columbine. Um, if a kid says anything about I'm going to kill somebody else, that's a kid who goes immediately to the administrator's office. There's no two words about that. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that don't get said anymore. Maybe that will be, you know, what we see in the aftermath of this. I don't know. Um, one of the things that I saw on, on uh, I don't know if it was your website or, or just somewhere else that I, where I was looking, but that um, that victims of bullying were about uh, six times as likely to uh, to have uh, to be at risk of suicide. But one of the things that was interesting to me too was that that bullies themselves um, may be at an increased risk of suicide mm-hmm. compared to mm-hmm. the, um, the the non-bullied or non-victim population. Yeah. I was wondering if you could talk about that. Um, the bullies' own own risk of mental health problems and and suicide. Well, you know, and I think that that's a very, very um, important point to make because this isn't just about, um, you know, the kids, you know, who are bullied um, as the kids, you know, who've got some kind of problems. Um, You know, we certainly, you know, some of the research, and, and again, this comes from research, you know, that looks at kids who, you know, are those more chronic bullies. And again, these are not the kids who say something mean every now and then. You know, this is that pattern of behavior um, where there's an attempt to control another child, um, that there's some gratification that comes from um, violence um, or intimidation. You know, we know that, that um, these kids may come from families where they've been exposed to violence themselves, um, that, um, you know, these are kids whose self-esteem is not great. So you can see if, you you know, you kind of take a look at that profile, um, you know, you can begin to recognize that these are kids who don't feel real good about themselves to start with, otherwise they wouldn't be doing, you know, this real aggressive um, kind of acting out. So, um you know, we do know, yeah, that, that these kids are also at risk. You know, we know that kids who are, are, are bystanders, um, you know, often feel extraordinarily guilty, especially, 
um, if something happens. You know, um, I think all you had to do was to take a look at some of the news coverage of the court case of the young boy from Rutgers to see all of those kids who had, you know, kind of watched and knew what was going on and how distraught they were, you know, about what the outcome was. So I don't think there's any winners, um, you know, when it comes to the, the bullying situation. It can be very upsetting to be a witness to mm-hmm. um, to, mm-hmm. to to bullying. And uh, um, in, in the Lifelines program, what is the, the what is the suggestion for those who witness events? Should, um, they, should they approach the bully directly, or just kind of to? Well, the Lifelines to, uh, program is you know it's really kind of a suicide prevention. The Olvaeus is the true. program that kind of deals with um, the bullying. <clears throat> And it really is, you know, you need to tell somebody about it. You know, you, you, um, you know, what, I mean, there's a, there's a complex of things that are suggested to kids. So instead of being just bystanders, they become allies. And I think it's again that shift in thinking. Um, and it, it, I mean, it, it, it can, it can be useful to have again a cultural shift in a school where kids, you know, also realize we're not going to tolerate this in our school. You know, we don't tolerate, you know, people saying violent things to others. We don't, you know, we um, take seriously kids who say um, self-directed violent things. If a kid talks about suicide, we take it seriously. And if we see any kind of intimidation or bullying, we also take that seriously. So it's about, you know, really kind of addressing that culture. And kids are the only ones who can truly change the culture of their school. Um, But you've got to give them permission um, and some direction in doing that. Um, and and they can do it. I mean, we're hosting actually a a youth suicide a, 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 a summit on bullying and suicide prevention in New Jersey called We Stand Together. And in in one particular county, we're inviting um, students from all of the high schools to come together for a day to hear some messages about bullying and suicide prevention, and then to put them into work groups where they're going to create um, public service announcements, which will be videotaped that they can take back to their schools to begin to get the conversation going in their schools about, you know, how do we become a school of allies um, instead of a school of bystanders. Um, I'm just realizing as as you're talking about that, if there um, if there are listeners today that that would like to get more information about and or, or access to these kinds of um, videos that you're talking about for use in their own schools, how would they go about contacting you or or getting more information about? Actually, about the website um, for the Society for the Prevention of Teen Suicide, you can just look that up and you can go right to the website. What you will find on that website is there's a video for parents called "Not My Kid." what every parent should know about teen suicide. And you can just view it or download it. What you will also find on that website is the um, educator training program I mentioned earlier, um, making educators partners in youth suicide prevention. Um, That's a two-hour program um, that you can just click on um, the homepage and you can go right to it. There's a New Jersey version and a national version. It's the kind of program where the computer remembers your place. It gives your certificate of completion at the end. And we've had over 35,000 teachers from around the country complete that program. Um, so that's a way that, you know, you can really educate yourself about some of the best practice information 
um, about suicide prevention and also begin to get a sense of what you can do in your individual schools. I said, to become an ally to kids. Thanks. I also understand that you've done some work with Hazleton. Um, yes. Um, and the Could other, you, um, you know, to go to the Hazleton website, site, um, they have a um, violence prevention website, and they've got a just wonderful collection um, of resources. Um, it's called violencepreventionworks.org. And there's lots of questions and answers and all kinds of things on there for both suicide and bullying and a variety of other issues that come up in schools around violence. Well, Maureen Underwood, thank you very much for for coming on our show today and for telling us more about um, bullying and and teen suicide. Um, Oh, you're welcome. Very helpful. And uh, I really hope that our listeners will follow up and and uh, um, look to uh, implement some of the things that you're working on in their own communities. And, and hopefully, you are right that over time, uh, um, bullying will be something that will uh, will have no tolerance on on campus, and and that uh, and that together we can start to reduce the the rates of teen suicide nationally. Okay. Thank thank you again for coming on. Oh, you're Marshall. welcome, and thank you for having me. Okay. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.